0: G'day and welcome to The Other Side Australia, episode 221 for the week starting Friday, September the 1st, 2023. This is considered the first day of spring in Australia and last week's show was our 20th of the year. So what better time to take a little break. For the next two weeks, we're gonna be presenting our best of spring break shows where we recap the highlights of our first 10 episodes and where better to begin than at the very beginning. Here's how it all started on ADH on our first show in early April. Well, it's been a while, more than a year, in fact, since our final episode of series one in December, 2021. We now have a new main home right here on ADH TV, Australia's leading voice. And of course, you can still follow us on Twitter or Facebook or YouTube at Other Side Oz, where you'll always find links to the show. If you're new to the show and have never seen us before, Welcome. The purpose of this show is to provide you with a weekly wrap of the news in around 30 to 40 minutes every Friday that will keep you up to date and also challenge the assumptions of Australia's old media. We're different in two important ways. Firstly, we have a different worldview to what's dominant in Australian old media and politics right now. We believe in traditional classical liberal values, that free people operating in a free society will usually lead to the best outcomes for everybody, that government isn't meant to be our parent or guardian, that we're meant to take responsibility and look after ourselves like adults most of the time, and that we must actively work to keep government small or it'll become a monster and we'll lose our wealth and our freedom. Now there's nothing radical about these views. It's called classical liberalism and it's been around for hundreds of years. You just don't hear a lot of it in Australia anymore. Unlike the US and UK, apart from some very brave independent media outlets like ADH, there really is no other side in Aussie media. We're here to help fix that. And the second way that we're different is that we're open and transparent and honest about our perspective on things. So even if you disagree with us, even if you're skeptical, I hope you enjoy the ride of having your views challenged a little bit. It's actually a lot of fun and I hope we keep you up to date every week too. So welcome or welcome back to The Other Side Australia. Well, the video of the week goes to Elon Musk's interview with the BBC that was conducted at Twitter headquarters in San Francisco. The BBC reporter foolishly hit the tech business genius with a naive question about hateful speech on twitter but then fail to provide a single example or even a coherent definition of what he thinks hate speech is content you don't like or or hateful
1: what do you mean to describe a hateful thing
2: yeah i, I mean you know just content that will solicit a, a reaction something that may include something that is slightly racist or slightly sexist those kinds of those kinds of things so you think if something I'm, is slightly sexist it should be banned I, n- no. Is I'm that not, what you're saying? I'm not saying anything. I'm, saying, well, I'm just curious.
1: I'm trying to say what you mean by hateful con- content, and I'm asking for specific examples. Um, and if, and you just said that if something is slightly
2: sexist, that's hateful content. Does that mean that it should be banned? Well, you've asked me, you've asked me whether my feed, whether it's got less or more, it, I'd say it's got slightly more. That's why I'm asking for examples can right. you name one example? I, I honestly don't, use, I, I, honestly, I you don't... You can't use, name I, a single example? I'll tell you why, because I don't actually use that for you feed anymore, because I, I just don't particularly like it. You and said actually, a, lot of people, a lot of people are quite similar, I, I, I only, well, I only well, look well, hang at hang on a second, you said you've seen
1: following. more hateful content, but you can't name a single example, not even one.
2: I'm not sure I've used that feed for the last three or four weeks, and well, I... But then I, how I did, did I, you see the hateful content? content? Uh, There are many uh,
0: organisations that say that that kind of information is on the rise. Many organisations, oh, yes. Many social justice organisations who've never liked Twitter, never liked Elon Musk, and most tellingly of all, never complained previously when Twitter was run by left-wing interests. I mean, did this guy do any research at all before this interview? Didn't he see those Twitter execs lined up and torn to bits in the US congressional hearings two months ago? One Republican lawmaker back then really let him have it over a ban that she copped for a tweet that they didn't like.
3: So I'll ask again. Did you shadow ban my account? Yes or no?
0: Again, not to the best
4: of my recollection.
3: So the answer is, Mr. Roth, yes, you did. I found out last night from Twitter staff that you suppressed my account for this tweet. It's... A freaking joke about Hillary Clinton being angry that she couldn't rig her election. It's a joke. But in response, being the sinister overlords that you all are, you placed a 90-day account filter so I could not be found. You silenced members of Congress from communicating with their constituents. You, You silenced me from communicating with the American people over a freaking joke. Now, who the hell do you think that you are? election interference yeah i would say that that was taking place because of you four sitting here the hunter biden laptop story was suppressed a sitting member of congress was suppressed a a sitting president was banned from twitter you know i bet that putin is sitting in the kremlin wishing he had as much election intervention interference as you four here today
0: ouch You go, girl. That's uh, US Congresswoman Lauren Boebert from the Colorado Republican Party. Now, let's remember, the old Jack Dorsey owned Twitter took it upon itself just before the Trump Biden election in 2020 to ban the New York Post's entire Twitter feed. One of America's oldest and most widely read newspapers, simply because they broke and were reporting on the Hunter Biden laptop story. Imagine if it was Donald Trump Jr. who left his laptop in a repair shop and it had incriminating stuff on it. It was part of a wider story suppression strategy that most likely lost Trump the election, because if people had known about the Biden story, many wouldn't have voted for the guy. And it turned out after the election that the story was true and the ban was unjustified. So it seems this BBC reporter didn't do any research at all, no, Twitter feeds aren't becoming more unpleasant if you're on the right side of the political spectrum. In fact, it's liberating to be able to hear what all people think on an issue and not just those who share the views of Californian tech executives. But apparently whatever the cool kids in London are saying down at the pub on Friday afternoon about Twitter feeds becoming more unpleasant isn't just someone's opinion, it's gospel truth. I okay. could slide what No, no, what I claim was uh, there are
2: many uh, organizations that say that that kind of information is on the rise. Now, whether whether it has on Give my feed one or example. not... I mean, I, right, and literally if you, can't you look name at something one. like the, the uh, Strategic Dialogue uh, Institute in the, U, in the UK, they will say that. So, you, they, Look,
1: people will say all sorts of nonsense. I'm literally asking for a right. single example and you can't name one. Right, and as,
2: as I've already said, I don't use that feed. But let's, well, then how let, would you know? Let, that I don't you, think you, this is getting anywhere. You literally
1: said you experienced more hateful content and then couldn't name a single example right and as i said I that's
2: absurd i haven't i haven't actually looked at that feed then how would you know the hateful content because i'm saying that's what i saw a few weeks ago i can't give you an exact example let's move on we
0: have we only have a certain amount of time um wow how, <laughs> yeah wow well, let's move on. That gotcha attempt didn't work, it backfired on me, so we'll just we'll just move on now. <laughs> At least British citizens have the right to opt out of paying for the BBC on their tax forms. It's a pity we don't have the same free choice in Australia with the ABC. That was our first story way back in April on our first episode here on ADH TV. You're watching The Other Side Australia for the weekend commencing Friday, September 1. And this is the first of our two spring break best of episodes, recapping the first 10 episodes of the show for 2023. Another really important story from that first episode was our look at the excess deaths data that was coming out here in Australia at the time. Some pretty scary stuff. The latest data for 2022 deaths in Australia is in and the Bureau of Statistics has released the complete year's mortality data. It's important because deaths have been well higher than usual and lots of people are keeping an eye on the numbers. The Bureau says that slightly more than 190,000 people died in 2022, which is just over 25,000 or 15.3% more than the historical average. Now that's more excess death than at any time since World War II. The Bureau says the jump in deaths from COVID in 2022 was significantly above 2020 and 21. 10,000 deaths were recorded as being due to COVID and 3,000 with COVID, meaning due to other causes primarily but had COVID-19 as a contributing factor. So that's 10,000 COVID deaths It was the number one cause of deaths in January and July last year when we had the two big Omicron waves. But what were the other 15,000 excess deaths from? Well, there were about 1,000 more heart disease deaths than usual, and there was a jump in deaths from chronic heart disease. Now, that's the kind of heart disease that isn't a sudden heart attack, but it's the result of a longer running heart condition. Now, usually acute and chronic deaths are roughly the same every year, but the Bureau of Statistics says that in 2022, chronic heart disease was 25% higher than acute heart disease. Cancer deaths were up about 2,500 on 2019. We usually have about 50,000 cancer deaths a year, sadly. Dementia was up quite a lot from around the usual 15,000 to 17,000. The flu, influenza was down, so it wasn't influenza, and cerebrovascular diseases, strokes and aneurysms and things like that, were also not any higher. But if you add all these major death causes up, we're still not quite at the 5,000 mark, and that leaves a good 10,000 deaths still unexplained. Now, the Bureau of Statistics just crunches the numbers. They leave it to the experts to do the analysis, which is fair enough. But what is our government? doing to try to find out the cause. I mean, given the billions we spent on COVID and the massive debt we racked up and the unprecedented infringements on our civil liberties that we all endured, surely this 10,000 extra deaths is a crisis worthy of serious investigation. Well, no, sorry, there was a motion in the Senate two weeks ago sponsored by United Australia Party Senator Ralph Babette to hold an inquiry. The motion was, of course, immediately voted down by crossbench senators because, well, you can't possibly let someone from one of those parties be taken seriously, darling. And the senators on the crossbench are mainly Greens, remember, and they'll reflexively balk at anything suggested by a conservative or centre-right politician. Queensland Liberal National Party Senator Gerard Rennick spoke in support of the motion, insisting Australians deserve an inquiry. Yeah, we do, but we're not gonna get one. So please ignore those 10,000 extra deaths and instead pay attention to this debate over here we're having about setting up a new bureaucracy to continue our great track record of not really helping Aboriginal people while just pretending to do so. Now, people who used to watch my podcast back in 2020 and 21 know that I am no anti-vaxxer. I like medical science and we're all living a lot longer thanks to medicine and vaccines than we used to. The anti-COVID vaccine community weren't happy with me having that view and. Boy, did they let me know it. But I think it's a personal choice that you make with your doctor. I am and have always been strongly anti-vaccine mandates because nobody has the right to tell you what you can and cannot put in your body, especially when we're talking about a new medical technology like mRNA technology. I was slammed for that position too at the time. Some people said it was irresponsible because of the social case for getting vaccinated. Well, we now know that the vaccine doesn't stop transmission, so the only social case for mandating vaccines is to stop hospital beds filling up because people get sicker if they aren't vaccinated. Meh, personally, I think that's a very weak argument for such a serious mandate from government. Most people were vaccinated anyway, And governments were trying to cover up the fact that they didn't prepare properly to cope with any extra big hospital surge, because the hospital systems in most states are just not up to scratch, and we all know that. And a surge didn't happen anyway. So the mandates, in my view, were inexcusable. Now, you'd think the pollies would have learned their lesson, right? No, of course not. Have a look at this exchange between the United Australia Party Senator Ralph Babette and the Labor government's Senator, Katie Gallagher. just last month. The health minister in the Albanese government is a guy called Mark Butler, but he sits in the lower house of parliament, the House of Representatives. So when someone asks a question in the Senate about health, it goes to the minister for women, Katie Gallagher. Now this clip's a little long, but bear with us. I don't want to edit it too much like they do in the old media news channels, because I think it's really important that we actually get to see how our politicians perform unedited. So take a look. Senator Ralph Babbitt from the UAP asking the question first.
5: Minister, can you please confirm if a Department of Health has investigated this large increase in excess excess mortality? And if they have, can you advise the Senate what is causing this spike in deaths?
6: I can say that uh, the Department of Health uh, would, as routine, uh, look at the reports that come out through the ABS. As uh, the Senator indicated in his question, the reports that the ABS does into mortality statistics, um, the reports they do on the causes of death, and of course uh, the Department of Health would look at those and examine those to see uh, if there are any trends or issues of concern. Um, I think uh, I'm advised that it's important to note that increases in deaths. Oh, uh,
0: uh, what? <clears throat> Sorry, so we are, we are cutting it. Okay, yes, we will cut this answer because she, uh, she goes on for another minute saying, well, nothing. So Senator Babette fires off a much more specific follow-up question. Thank you, Minister. Now you
5: mentioned some causes of death there, but you didn't mention myocarditis and pericarditis. Now Minister, is the government confident confident that none of this is because of the mrna injection Minister Thank you.
6: Um President and I thank uh, Senator Bebe for this uh, supplementary uh, and uh, I would say that um, COVID-19 as a virus also impacts uh, the health and has those health consequences so pericarditis, myocarditis is also if you have a bad case a severe case of COVID-19 that is a, is a side effect a consequence of that and I would also say that uh, the data shows that for those who are unvaccinated so haven't had a vaccine, primarily an mRNA vaccine, um, they are much more likely to end up in ICU or passing away. So those who are are not vaccinated or not up to date with their vaccination. And for people in my age group, it's 32 times more likely to end up in hospital if you're not vaccinated. So um, the answer to the question is, yes, we are confident. The, The government and the approving authorities are confident. ...that the mRNA vaccine is safe you, and Minister, we urge time people to be vaccinated. Senator Bebet, second
5: supplementary. Thank you, President. Now, Minister, given that you're so confident... Order! Order! Minister, given that you're so confident that mRNA is so safe and is so effective, when is the government going to release the data to support this claim? When are you going to talk to ATAGI and tell them to give us the information? Are you going to do this, Minister?
7: Thank you, Senator Babette Minister.
6: Well, the, thank you. And I would say the safety of the vaccine is, is uh, whilst ATAGI has a role about the uh, provision of the vaccine, who should be provided the dose, the approving of authorities, the TGA, and they do publish adverse events uh, through um, quite frequent reporting. I think it's either weekly or monthly reporting of adverse events, events relating to vaccination status. I would also say that of course people are entitled to get advice from their health professional about whether the vaccine is safe for them and take that advice. But I would also urge people with the fifth dose becoming available to please remain up to date with your vaccinations. It's not just an individual decision. This is the thing. It's not just about an individual decision and keeping yourself safe, it's keeping other people safe from, these vac- from this uh, virus.
0: She almost said, from this vaccine there. Freudian slip of the century, that was. Ah, yes, it's about keeping other people safe. Uh-huh. That old line's still working, is it? Australian Minister for Women, Finance and the Public Service, Senator Katie Gallagher from the ACT, speaking in the Senate back in April. Got to get that fifth jab, folks. We bought hundreds of millions of doses at a cost of $8 billion. We can't waste them now, can we? This is The Other Side Australia, episode 221, the first of our two spring break episodes, recapping the best stories from our first 10 shows on TV. Also back in our first episode in April, we revisited one of the most important speeches of our time, Senator Jacinta Price's maiden speech to federal parliament. It's an extraordinary moment in our nation's history and one that's perhaps more relevant right now than it was back when she first made it. So it's well worth a recap. It's been decades since I've heard anything as inspiring from an Australian politician. For our international viewers, Jacinta Price is an Aboriginal Australian woman who wholeheartedly rejects the doctrine of victimhood. She was elected to her hometown council in 2015, where she fought relentlessly to improve the lives of Indigenous children by tackling head-on the real issues that face Indigenous Australians, like domestic violence and alcohol dependence. In our federal election last May, she was elected to the Australian Senate, representing the Northern Territory.
7: This government has yet to demonstrate how this proposed voice will deliver practical outcomes and unite, rather than drive a wedge further between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australia. And no, Prime Minister, we don't need another handout as you have described the Uluru Statement to be. No. We Indigenous Australians have not come to agreement on this statement.
0: She's a powerful force and that's why Labor and the Greens hate her. She tears down the victim narrative they love. The story that all big government socialists hold dear. That you are oppressed somehow and you need us to take care of you. Senator Price is having none of it.
7: I am an empowered, warpy Celtic Australian woman who did not and has never needed a paternalistic government to bestow my own empowerment upon me. We've proven for decades now that we do not need a chief protector of Aborigines. I've not got here along with 10 other Indigenous voices, including my colleague, Senator for South Australia, Karen Little, to this 47th Parliament of Australia, like every other parliamentarian. Through hard work and sheer determination, that's how we got here. However, now you want to ask the Australian people to disregard our elected voices and vote yes to apply a constitutionally enshrined advisory body without any detail of what that might in fact entail. Perhaps a word of advice, since that is what you're seeking. <laughs> Listen to everyone, and not just those who support your virtue signalling agenda, but also to those you contradict.
0: It's a speech that should be shown to every Australian school student today to spark an informed and complex debate about racial issues in our country. Not the oversimplistic debate we have now that reduces everything to European colonisers bad and indigenous people good.
7: But we must always remember that our nation is not simply black and white. We are rich with the contribution of Australians of many backgrounds, 30% of who were born overseas. And this is one of our greatest strengths as a nation. My elders taught me that any child who was conceived in our country holds within them the baby spirit of the creator ancestor from the land. In other words, Australian children of all backgrounds belong to this land. They too have chukurpa, dreaming, and they too are connected spiritually to this country. This is what I know true reconciliation to be. These teachings cannot be delivered through legislation, nor through any corporate reconciliation action plan. These teachings are about what it means to be a modern human in an ancient land. Mm. It's time to stop feeding into a narrative that promotes racial divide. A narrative that claims to try to stamp out racism, but applies racism in doing so, and encourages a racist overreaction. Yes, it is time for some (laughs) truth-telling.
0: Senator Jacinta Price in her maiden speech to Parliament. She went on to slam the patronising tokenism of welcome to country statements, which are now delivered before almost every public event.
7: Throughout Australia, the reinvention of culture has brought us welcome to country, or recognition of country, a standard ritual practise before events, meetings and social gatherings by governments, corporates, institutions, primary schools, kindergartens, high schools, universities, workplaces, music festivals, gallery openings, conferences, airline broadcasts, and so on and so forth. I personally have had more than my feel of being symbolically recognised.
0: A little over a year on from there and Jacinda Price has said the Welcome to Country is designed to make non-Indigenous Australians feel like this isn't their country, which is a very good way to create disunity. You're watching The Other Side Australia, episode 221 for the weekend, commencing Friday, September 1. I'm Damien Currie, and this is the first of our two spring break best of episodes, recapping the first 10 episodes of the show for 2023. The following week back in late April was the week a very different kind of senator was caught behaving very badly indeed outside of Melbourne strip club. Here's how we covered that in episode 202. Well, by now, Almost everyone has seen the latest round of appalling behaviour of Senator Lydia Thorpe, the woman who was elected as a Green, resigned from the party, and now sits as an independent in the Australian Senate. But there are a couple of twists to this story that I think we need to think carefully about. First though, I I guess we've got to show you that video again. Lydia Thorpe last weekend at around 3 a.m. outside a strip club in Melbourne, where she'd been out with friends at a 50th birthday party. It was Channel 7 that broke the story Monday.
4: Early this morning, outside a strip club in Melbourne.
8: You know what I
7: say? You know what I say to you? Shut up.
8: You know what I say to you? you. And you? You're
4: a racist dog. You are the penis.
5: racist
8: dog.
4: Independent Senator Lydia Thorpe and her friends out to celebrate her 50th birthday. A filmed arguing with a group of men. All
7: I want to say to the black brothers there, and anyone that we fight, any black man that stands with a white little like that, you can all get
5: too. How the f would <laughs> someone get in Parliament like you? They've been oppressed all our f.
4: In this country, and you let and this in Senator Thorpe also taking matters into her own hands. I, and you, you. Get out of my face.
0: I like to tell my kids don't be a snob, don't look down on other people, but also have a bit of class, have a bit of self respect, and try to behave like a decent human being most of the time. There's a difference between being a good, down to earth person and ending up in the gutter. Of course, being of the modern political far left, Lydia is always the victim, so there was zero remorse for any of this behaviour.
4: Lydia Thorpe has told Seven News that she was provoked, that the men singled her out and began to harass her over her views on Indigenous affairs. She says it's sad people are utilising whatever they can to drag her down when we're trying to discuss important issues in this country.
0: Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has urged Senator Thorpe to get some support, telling Sydney Radio, quote, I think that level of behaviour is quite clearly unacceptable and I think there are obvious issues that need to be dealt with in terms of her health issues. These are not the actions of anyone who should be participating in society in a normal way, let alone a senator. No kidding, Prime Minister. But I think a lot of commentators are missing some pretty serious points about this incident. Sure, it's a bit of a laugh, but after we've stopped chuckling at her appalling behaviour, we need to examine a few things more closely. Security footage of the incident, exclusively obtained by Daily Mail Australia earlier this week, seems to suggest that there was very little provocation involved. Thorpe can be seen returning to the men, completely unprovoked, several times. There you go once, Pat. Uh, right. How do you get in? Oh no, a bit uh, more to say. Uh, Change my mind. <laughs> And yeah, we're gonna
1: have another go. Here we go. Did you push
0: him?
1: I don't know. Yeah, another oh, that's go, a, that's another go. The office, go
0: number two. And then, but she's back again. She's back There's again. the finger pointing. And she was, she was provoked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These sure. guys haven't moved off the wall. They yeah. haven't moved. <laughs> These guys were extremely restrained. And I can't help but wonder what would happen on social media if this were a white male senator from the Liberal Party over about 40 years of age. I don't think he'd have a job and there'd be cries for his resignation from everyone within two seconds flat. Mm, is she or not? Oh, no, I think she comes back and starts photographing everyone. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, typical behaviour of a belligerent front.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. I'm going
0: to show you. Sort of been
1: tired of the
0: exit. you don't know who I am. <laughs> I don't know who these guys are that are talking over this security video, but they're great. So it looks like Lydia may have decided to call it a night. But wait, there's more. She gets out of the car and starts taking pictures or video of all the men that she has just abused. Again, could you imagine if the gender roles were reversed here? what kind of outcry there would be. Amusing, but as I said, there is a very serious side to this, which we all really should be focusing on a lot more. And it involves this part.
7: You, you are marked.
0: What does that mean? In underworld circles, I think telling someone they're marked is a very serious threat. I'm not sure. I need to go back and re-watch some old Sopranos episodes, maybe. But it's very weird language coming from an Australian senator, isn't it? As Channel 7's Jennifer Bashwadi noted in her original story, it's not the first controversy for Lydia.
4: Last month, she was dragged to the floor by police during a protest outside Parliament. In February, she held up the Sydney Mardi Gras. There was this at an anti-monarchy protest in Melbourne. The Crown has on their hand! And her alleged relationship with a bikey boss, which she later denied. What kind
8: of person do you think I am?
0: Yeah, what sort of person do you think I am, you bloody racists? You are marked. One Nation Senator Pauline Hanson has called for police to investigate Thorpe's little weekend antics. I think... Victoria Police should be carefully examining that footage to determine if Senator Thorpe has broken the law. The Australian Human Rights Commission might also consider examining the footage for possible breaches of Section 18C of the Racial Discrimination Act. I think the people subjected to her abuse on the weekend should come forward and see that she is held accountable because the Senate has shown that it is too gutless to do so. Indeed. This is a chance to show that these terrible hate speech laws do apply equally to all and aren't purely just a politically motivated tool for the left to bash conservatives with every now and again. Another surprising angle to this story, or maybe not so surprising, I should say, is that the ABC totally ignored the story. They didn't run it at all. Now, if you don't think that there isn't some deep political and cultural bias in that place, You've got rocks in your head. Why do we all have to pay for it? Anyway, I digress. Thorpe is now in the absurd position of being banned for life from a strip club, but able to sit in the Australian Senate. How amusing. But it isn't funny. She was elected as a Green and put there as a candidate to be elected by that charming political party. Now she's in there, she quits the party, and she becomes an independent, so she's not accountable to the party or its rules. Shouldn't we, the people, get to decide? There's another deeper question here about the Senate itself. Perhaps instead of a referendum on setting up yet another chamber in our parliamentary system, we should maybe have a referendum to fix the one we've got. What Indigenous Affairs activists perhaps don't realise is that there is a limit to the generosity of Australians of all races who don't believe that this is a racist country, who don't believe that just because their ancestors were here first, that the many descendants of Aboriginal people should have special rights and privileges, and who don't think that because Aboriginal Australians ancestors were treated badly, that that makes them very much different from many of other Australians ancestors from other countries. You know, we already have taxpayer spending at a level of around 1.5 to two times per capita on Aboriginal people compared to non-Aboriginal people. A racist country doesn't do that. And as Alan Jones articulated brilliantly on this channel earlier this week, ordinary Aussies are not racists, Lydia. They're kind and good-hearted and fully hopeful that the problems plaguing Aboriginal communities can be fixed and they're willing to help and pay a little more tax for that. But they're getting just a bit sick of still being called racists. You're watching the first of our two Spring Break Best Of episodes, recapping the first 10 shows of The Other Side, Australia for 2023. We will be back with original episodes on Friday, September 15. But lots more great stuff to show you from earlier this year in this weekend and next weekend show. We're also going to be recapping the best of our interview shows across the next two weeks. This Tuesday night at 6pm on ADH, we'll be replaying in full, our fantastic interview with Matt Barry, so make sure you join us for that one, the CEO of Freelancer. We are still in spring break mode. Matt Barry's uh, interview was our, by far our, uh, our highest viewed show ever, and it is compulsory viewing. If you haven't seen it yet, it really is worth revisiting. Back in May, the media and political world in the United States was shocked by the announcement by Fox News that they were taking Tucker Carlson off the air. He was the biggest rating star in American TV news, as we noted at the time. It was an important story for us in Australia because, well, it's the Murdochs and they control a lot of the media in this country. News Corp started here. US media affects Australian media a lot, generally, just in terms of content. And what does and does not get covered by the media is affected a lot by the U.S. So this was about much more than just one celebrity news commentator being removed. It was a political story with a serious wider range of cultural implications for all of us in the Western world and beyond the announcement of
8: carlson's departure came as a shock to virtually everybody at the network as you
0: probably have heard fox news and tucker carlson have agreed to part ways i wish tucker the best i'm great friends with tucker and always will be
8: carlson himself seemed totally unaware friday as he signed off the air for what would be the last time
9: that's it for us for the week
0: we'll be back Now, Carlson was a renegade. He rocked the boat, and because of that, he consistently outrated his opponents, averaging three million plus viewers a night and peaking at six million during election time. And when I say he rocked the boat, he consistently championed the people against the elites. He was conservative, but just as critical of the Republican Party as anyone, so much so that many pundits think it was the Republicans who might have contributed most to the end of his time at Fox. Most of the mainstream media, the people he routinely beats in the ratings, were gleeful in reporting his exit. While Carlson's show was highly rated, it was also highly controversial.
8: At times, echoing Russian propaganda, attacking vaccines, promoting the racist replacement theory, spreading conspiracy theories about January 6, and
0: more, views toxic to many of the network's advertisers. Toxic to its advertisers. That'd be the genius woke marketing executives of modern corporate America, perhaps. Bud Light, anyone? But not toxic at all to the millions of people who watch the show. The problem with the way in which US ABC News has summed up Tucker's show's focus on stories there in that clip is that it grossly oversimplifies things. Tucker's writers and researchers did some damn good work over the years, but it didn't tow the conventional narratives for the left or the right. It went against them. And what made his show so appealing was that it went against them intelligently and with depth a lot of the time. Now, I'm not saying I always agreed with him, but when they took a perspective on things, the people at Tucker Carlson Tonight backed up what they were saying with good research. Most mainstream media executives miss the fact that that is why people like him and why Tucker and closer to home, people like Alan Jones and Rowan Dean rate very well. But nowadays, it doesn't seem to matter how good your ratings are. It only matters if you tow the dominant editorial line and do not, under any circumstances, upset the woke advertisers. That is not good for liberal democracy, and it's not good for Australia or America. The one thing we really should be demanding diversity of is diversity of opinion across our media. Everyone is still trying to piece together what actually went on in the room where it happened and who was in there and why. There are more theories from ill-informed pundits about Tucker Carlson leaving Fox than there are about the Kennedy assassination. One popular mainstream theory is that it was simply a case of the straw that broke the camel's back for Lachlan Murdoch, who runs Fox, and his father Rupert. The big lawsuit with Dominion voting machines, which led to an out-of-court settlement last week in which Fox paid Dominion the mind-boggling sum of $750 million in damages, could have been that final straw. Carlson's firing
8: came just three business days after Fox News settled a defamation lawsuit with Dominion voting systems for nearly $800 million. Dominion accused Fox anchors, including Carlson, of spreading false claims that vote counting
0: machines had been used to rig the 2020 presidential election. But away from the cameras and off the air, in private text messages, Carlson was slamming the claims of widespread voter fraud caused by voting machines, going against the on-air narrative at Fox and warning his colleagues about pushing too hard or believing too much in the claims being made by Trump and his lawyers, calling them in one of his text messages shockingly reckless. These text messages were made public in the Dominion lawsuit, and that might have had something to do with why Fox decided to pull the plug on Tucker. But it seems a kind of small thing to boot a top rating talent over, especially when he turned out to be right in his take on it all. But as ABC News U.S. reported, Fox News legal troubles don't stop with the Dominion Voting Machine Company story and that massive case payout. There's more to come. Abby Grossberg, a former Fox
8: News producer, is suing the company and Tucker Carlson, alleging she was subjected to a hostile work environment while working on his show, including demeaning
0: remarks about women and anti-Semitic jokes. Sexism and racism, the two biggies. There you go, case closed. Forgive me if I'm a little skeptical on that one, but we'll see how it plays out. That lawsuit from Abby Grossberg, the Fox News former producer, also isn't the scariest lawsuit for Fox. It's the pending case from another voting machine company that's asking for $2.7 billion dollars in damages, a company called Smartmatic who are involved in some Australian elections. We'll have more on that shortly. But first, the video tweet that Tucker posted to Twitter on Thursday that got 24 million views in under four hours.
9: Good evening, it's Tucker Carlson. One of the first things you realize when you step outside the noise for a few days is how many genuinely nice people there are in this country, kind and decent people, people who really care about what's true, and a bunch of hilarious people also, a lot of those. It's gotta be the majority of the population, even now. So that's heartening. The other thing you notice when you take a little time off is how unbelievably stupid most of the debates you see on television are. They're completely irrelevant. They mean nothing. In five years, we won't even remember that we had them. Trust me, as someone who's participated. And yet at the same time, and this is the amazing thing, the undeniably big topics, the ones that will define our future, get virtually no discussion at all. War, civil liberties, emerging science, demographic change, corporate power, natural resources. When was the last time you heard a legitimate debate about any of those issues? It's been a long time. Debates like that are not permitted in American media. Both political parties and their donors have reached consensus on what benefits them, and they actively collude to shut down any conversation about it. Suddenly, the United States looks very much like a one-party state. That's a depressing realization, but it's not permanent. Let's hope not. Tucker's comments about our
0: modern media scene in the West, which I think applies much to Australia as the US, maybe even more, about how we don't see coverage of the issues that matter anymore, just a whole lot of sensation and titillation, crime news and celebrity news. And the fact that that's damaging and dumbing down our culture is something with which I couldn't agree more. And it's why I started The Other Side. The second point he makes also applies to Australia. That there's no political diversity. The major two party system in America is tied up with big government bureaucracy and big corporate elites, leaving the small business person, the tradies and the little guys powerless and tied up in red and green tape and at the mercy of the bureaucrat class in government and big corporations. I think that situation is even worse in Australia than America. Our two major political parties are basically old Labour left and new Labour light from the Liberals. But Tucker is not so pessimistic about the future.
9: That's a depressing realization, but it's not permanent. Our current orthodoxies won't last. They're brain dead. Nobody actually believes them. Hardly anyone's life is improved by them. This moment is too inherently ridiculous to continue. And so it won't. The people in charge know this. That's why they're hysterical and aggressive. They're afraid. They've given up persuasion. They're resorting to force. But it won't work. When honest people say what's true, calmly and without embarrassment, they become powerful. At the same time, the liars who've been trying to silence them shrink and they become weaker. That's the iron law of the universe. True things prevail. Where can you still find Americans saying true things? There aren't many places left, but there are some, and that's enough. As long as you can hear the words, there is hope.
0: See you soon. He's not giving away too much there about the split with Fox or his future, mainly because he's probably gagged by his departure contract. But what's interesting about Tucker is he doesn't tend to make things about himself. He focuses on his audience, and that is why he rated so well. Fox may not have just let go of their highest rating host ever. They may have let go their whole value proposition to the market. You're watching The Other Side Australia for the weekend commencing Friday, September 1. I'm Damien Coorie and this is the first of our two spring break best of episodes, recapping the first 10 shows of 2023. There may be no Australian premier in history who's dodged as many bullets as Victoria's Dan Andrews. He certainly has earned the title of Teflon Dan. Nothing seems to stick. Back in late April, the Southern States Anti-Corruption Commission, IBAC, released a report into the awarding of a million-dollar contract to a Labor-affiliated union. It was called the Operation Daintree Report, and it investigated how the state's health department awarded the Health Workers Union a $1.2 million staff training contract on the eve of the 2018 election without a competitive tender process. IBAC says this was because of significant pressure from ministerial staff, the premier's office, and the health workers' union boss, Diana Asmar. The commission says the union was given privileged access and favorable treatment, and that, quote, the combined effect of these failings and unethical conduct resulted in a contract that shouldn't have been entered into with the union and an outcome which was not in the public interest. But here's the rub. IBAC found that while ethical obligations were breached by the Premier's own department, and while this was an example of gray corruption, apparently corruption now comes in shades of bad, gray being kind of bad, you know, it wasn't technically illegal. Nobody technically broke the law. The king of spin himself was in fine form when he was first confronted by reporters to account for his own department's unethical
10: behaviour. There are 17 recommendations made in that important educational report. Uh, I will lead uh, as the chair of the cabinet, a cabinet process to consider those issues. Uh, and we will respond in due course. Uh, but we're grateful for that educational report and those 17 findings, those 17 recommendations, I should say. And uh, we will uh, get on with that work and, uh, and update you. Educational, educational
0: report. So <laughs> let me explain the PR trick here. When you've got a crisis of management on your hands, which is what this is, you position yourself as not the cause of the problem, but the solution to it. And that's exactly what Andrews does in this news conference. He starts by distancing himself from the problem. I'd like to thank IBAC for these 17 findings. I mean, recommendations. And then he pivots to it's my job to ensure we take these educational findings and lead a process to learn from them. So you go from being the bad guy Joker to the hero Batman in one sentence. Fortunately, like most PR tricks of its kind, it only works a couple of times before even the dopiest citizens will wake up and start asking questions. Even Victoria's tame pro-Labour parliamentary press gallery. Watch for the same pattern in this next soundbite.
10: I do want to make a couple of points. There are no findings against uh, anyone in this uh, report. Uh, It is is an educational report and they're not my words. That's the the way in which IBAC themselves have uh, described this. Uh, But the recommendations do go to a number of serious matters, important matters, and we will give proper consideration as part of a proper cabinet government process uh, to each of those. Uh, The uh, staff members that are referred to in this report do not work for the government anymore and have not worked for the government for years. Uh, And of course, as you well know, the two ministers who are referenced in the report are not even members of the parliament any longer. So uh, obviously uh, I am accountable and fundamentally responsible for uh, driving a process to consider those 17 recommendations, to look at them very carefully, uh, to potentially further engage with IBAC, to seek their advice uh, and then to respond uh, once that work has been done. Uh, This matter has not been to cabinet not possible for this to go to Cabinet. And I think that uh, given the educational elements of this, uh, it's not about taking action immediately. It's not about necessarily responding to uh, calls for action and findings that have been made against anybody. There are no findings against anyone in this uh, report. Uh, I think we do have the time to get this right, and we should. And uh, I think there are also some issues in the report that are perhaps a little bit out of date. There are some things that have already happened, some processes that are alive and are on foot. Uh, but again, we will do that work uh, and we'll report progress to you once that work is finished.
0: And on and on and on it went. He's kind of good at the PR game in one way. This is the fourth known IBAC probe in which Premier Dan Andrews has been interviewed. His His whole Mr. Reasonable shtick, the face to the public, can only cover up the extraordinary number of internal failings for so long. Teflon Dan, people keep believing that Mr. Nice Guy routine, it seems. And that's it for the first of our two spring break best of episodes, recapping the first 10 weeks of The Other Side Australia for 2023. We'll be back with original episodes on Friday, September 15, but lots more great stuff to show you from earlier this year in next weekend show. So make sure you do join us next Friday night at 8pm for the first streaming of that one. And of course it's on demand all weekend and beyond as always. And we're also recapping our best interview shows. This Tuesday night at 6pm on ADH, we'll be replaying our most popular interview ever with the CEO of freelancer.com, Matt Barry. Matt's views on where our country is heading garnered hundreds of thousands of views. Our biggest audience ever for The Other Side. If you haven't seen it, it's compulsory viewing. And if you have seen it, it's really worth revisiting. So we'll catch you then.